Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Travel Buddy. Travel Buddy. Anybody remember like when you were a kid in grade school and you would uh, take the, the field trips or whatever and they would assign you a travel buddy. Anybody remember this this system? And uh, they would find you somebody else like to, to buddy you up with, to partner you up with so that you wouldn't get lost, so that uh, you really like, and I had a teacher that was bold enough to tell us, so you won't get kidnapped. And I'm like, yeah, because this other eight-year-old kid is going to ward off, especially this kid, right? I mean, this kid is not, and they would, it was always like assigned according to like last name or something uninteresting like that. And so a lot of times you didn't get to pick who this person was. You were just sort of slammed together with them and sent off on a field trip. And then you were stuck. You were stuck doing this thing that you may not have wanted to do because when I was growing up, the sort of field trips they took you on was not like exciting things that you really wanted to do right? It was, it was stuff where you're just like, really, we have to be subjected to this. Uh, I remember one of the field trips I went on, we went to a, a dairy farm, which every, you know, every kid is like, where's the milk come from? No, no kids, they don't care. And so they were like, let's go to a dairy farm. And they took us to the, the dairy farm and, and showed us how the cows were milked by machines. That is an image I'll never get out of my head. And, uh, and then, um, like a, a surprising sort of moment broke out between a cow and, uh, what I now know as a bull. And, um, that was uncomfortable for everyone. And, uh, they didn't quite explain it. They were like, well, you know, like when people love each other and I'm like, wow, I'm never getting married. You know what I mean? It was really didn't, you know, they didn't seem like they were having a good time. It was rough. Well, one of them did. It was, it was weird though. It was weird. And the travel buddy, the point of the whole thing was, you know, to sort of give you somebody to walk around with. Did you grow up in the school where they made you hold hands with the travel buddy? That's weird. That's so weird. Um, And so you're just walking around, you know what I mean, holding hands with this person that you barely know. Um, Some of you got assigned to like uh, an exciting travel buddy. And so you're just like, all right, you know. Um, some of you tried that move like when you got a little bit older. You're like, hey, travel buddy. And then they were like, get away from me. And others of you, you managed to parlay that into an engagement. So congratulations, you did it. But the, the point was, at least for me, like I came to realize as a kid, like I would always get anxious when they were assigning travel buddies because what you learn on field trips is that the travel buddy is gonna make or break the trip, Right? No matter where you're going or what you're doing, if you get like uh, a travel buddy that's going to be a drain on the situation, you go to the most exciting place and it's going to be horrible. Also, you could get linked up with a great travel buddy and no matter how horrible the thing is, it might be your favorite memory. And this isn't just something that like takes place when you're a kid. Like we grew up to experience this truth as an adult. In fact, like, if you just were to go to any streaming service, you will note that there are hundreds of road trip movies in existence. I mean, there are just so many of them, countless of them. And um, 
all these road trip movies like continue to point to the same sort of idea that the travel buddy makes a big difference. By the way, bonus points if you can name all these and bring it to me later. Um, I'll give you a high five at a Hershey kiss or something like that. And the thing that we notice is like, it's, it's not necessarily where they go or what they do, but it's the people that they're with that, that shape what actually takes place, that makes it interesting, that makes it uh, an experience that is worth having, that makes uh, the lessons worth learning. But it's not just in modern movies, it's in ancient stories. In fact, this idea is all over the Bible. I wonder if you've ever noticed um, in just Bible stories that you're presented with or scripture reading that you've done on your own, that like virtually no one in scripture does anything by themselves. Like God tells people to do things, but he always gives them someone to do it with. Like somehow this, this travel buddy buddy system originates with God, or at least it seems like it. I mean, even if you just do a quick overview, you have Moses, who's sort of this great leader of the people, frees them, um, you know, out, like takes them out of Exodus. He's coupled up with Aaron. You have Jonathan, who is coupled up with David, who ends up becoming a king. Elijah and Elisha, that's got to work out, right? It's like, hey, you have a rhyming name. Let's do this stuff together. And they ended up, there's these famous prophets, they do so much stuff together, Ruth and Naomi, there's this famous story of Ruth and the book of Ruth, as the Bible titles are real creative, Mary and Martha, Paul and Silas, James and John, I, like, and we could, we could keep going and going and going and going. In fact, what I think is interesting is when Jesus sort of like uh, recruits his disciples, he teaches them, then he sends them out, he sends them out with a travel buddy. He like sends them out to go do something and accomplish something and to make his purposes become a reality. And he always sent them in pairs. And I, I think the reason why is this, and I think it's the moral of every road trip movie, is that the, the character of the company you keep determines the impact of the journey you take. The character of the company you keep determines the impact of the journey you take. And in fact, one wisdom writer in the Old Testament says it this way, and he's considering the journey, not just like a trip that you take or, uh, you know, sort of like a, a field trip or a road trip, but the, the trip or the journey of your life. He says this, this is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Become wise by walking with the wise, right? Like take your trip with wise people. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. And some of you are like, there are parts of my life that are in pieces. And it's the fault of these fools, right? <laughs> Don't point a finger, but I mean, like you can think about uh, people that you did sections of the journey of your life with who are like, man, that was not great, like the, the, the character of their company really did determine the impact of that segment of my journey. And for some of us, man, we walked with wise people and we noticed that we were getting wiser. We were becoming better. We liked who we were at the end of that trip, the end of that year, the end of that season, because the people that we were with made it enjoyable, but they also made it impactful in a way that grew us. And we've also all had moments where the reverse was true. In our Discover class, we say that there are three 
inescapable needs that every human being has, and, and one is camaraderie. And if you want to know what the other two are, you should take the class, because um, it's great. Um, you're just going to have to wonder until then. But we define camaraderie, or the need for camaraderie, this way. You need, this is something that everybody needs, you need close friends who are different from you, share your deepest values, and actively help you become your best self. Like, this is a deep, intrinsic human need. Whether you believe in God or not, whether you're like a churchy person or not, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old or young you are, like, you can feel this need in the innermost parts of who you are, that you need people around you that are going to be with you, that are going to propel you in the right direction. You realize that you need a travel buddy. You need the right travel buddies in order to take you where you want to go, in order to have the impact that you want to have. And what I think is fascinating is social science, like for the, the past probably 50 years, has put forth just a mountain of research that keeps affirming this idea over and over and over again. It's really just echoing Proverbs, um, uh, like this Proverbs verse, like in, in terms of just data of, of the way that we work as people, the way we impact and affect each other. Um, the, the, the people that we spend the most time with, according to research, it determines everything from like the mood that we find ourselves in on a day-to-day basis, our attitudes, our outlook, our blood pressure is affected by the people around us. Some of you are like, you don't need to tell me that. I can feel it spiking around certain people and certain people call me. Your weight is determined by the people that you spend time with. Some of you are like, okay, yeah, that's good to know. Eating habits, belief system, the length of your life is determined by the character of the people that you spend your life with. This is insane to me. And what a lot of this research points to is that most of this is subconscious. So you're not even always aware that the people that you're sharing your life with are impacting you in the ways in which they are. Um, this is why you have, I think, New Testament writers saying things like this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. You have the writer who's saying, don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, like it's the same sort of idea. Like, uh, a lot of times we look at the people around us and we're like, oh, they're not really rubbing off on me. They're not really uh, impacting me or affecting me that much. Like, I sort of set my sights. I have my values, my goals, my vision, my practices, my disciplines. And yet what this is saying is like, really a lot of the way people around you are affecting you is subconscious. It's the cumulative effect they have on you that when people haven't seen you for a while, they notice that you're different, that something has changed about you. And a lot of times we can be fooled because it doesn't like really come to the surface on a day-to-day basis. But over time, the people that we spend time with begin to change and affect us. Another wisdom writer says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So here's the question that I have for you. As you are looking at jump-starting a new year, and probably like a lot of us, you're reflecting on last year, you're thinking back on the things that you did, the things that you wanted to do, who you became, who you said you were going to become, and then you're just like, well, that didn't happen. And now you're here. 
and you're thinking about where you want to go and what you want to do and who you want to be, the question I would ask you is, are the people that you spend the majority of your time with, are they sharpening you or corrupting you? Because I got to tell you, as you go into this year, you can set whatever goals you want to. You can have whatever dreams you want to have. You can determine that you're going to do this and like make a promise to yourself. You can blast it on social media. You can even get a few good weeks under your belt. But ultimately, like who you become is going to be determined on the travel buddies that you take with you on the journey. Because this is the way you work. And I wonder if you were to sit down and not just take inventory of what you did and who you want to be, but who you did things with and who those people have made or are making you into. I took some time um, towards the end of this, this past year just to sit down with my staff and before we started doing some strategic planning um, in terms of what we're going to do for this year and the things that we wanted to prioritize and the decisions that we wanted to make and what we wanted to put on the calendar and all that. Um, I, I just asked them this question of like, um, guys, I, I know that we've been thinking about it and praying about it. We came to this meeting with ideas, but like, what is it that you want to see happen in our church in 2023? Like, if you could just sort of snap your fingers, skip to the end of the year, and realize that God did every last thing that you wanted him to do here, what is it that you would pray and hope for? And they, they all shared sincerely from their gut. And what I thought was interesting is most of what uh, our staff shared here overlapped with one another. There were like these trends that started surfacing in the things that they said. And I took all of sort of the, just the brain dump from those conversations and was able to sort of compile everything they were saying that was overlapping into three statements about the things that we wanted to see this year. And I want to just share this with you because this is what we as a staff here on this campus built our entire year our strategy, our schedule around. And um, I want you to know, like, the heart really behind what the people who are leading you, like, what sort of dreams are leading them. And the first thing that we, we sort of came up with is that we want everyone um, on our campus to feel liked and valued by a small circle they regularly trust with the intimate details of their life. Like, this is a dream that we all shared. This, this came up more than anything else when we were thinking and praying about what we wanted to see in this next year. And every word here is important. Um, we all want to feel liked and valued by a small circle of people. And those are two different things. Because I've had a small circle that I was a part of that I didn't really feel like those people liked me. Anybody else had this experience? These are my people. People are like, do they like you? And you're like, not sure, probably not. I don't know, I'm getting a lot of weird stuff from them. I'm sort of stuck here with these people. I've also, like, I've been in, in, in experiences where I felt like people liked me, but they didn't value me. Like, they were amused by me, but they didn't think I was bringing anything to the table or had anything to offer. I've also been in a situation where people valued me. They were like, I like what you do for me. I don't like you. And this is why we want to see this happen. Like, not everybody is going to like or value you. And that may come as a shock to some of you. 
but we all need a small circle of people that like and value us. And, and those people need to like us for who we really are, which means in order to have that experience, in order for it to be authentic, we have to vulnerably share who we really are, what we're thinking, what's going on in our life, what we're struggling with, our highs and our lows, the details of our life with those people on an ongoing basis. And this is why this is hard to do. That is scary. It's nerve-wracking to do what's necessary to be close with other people. And if this is particularly a struggle for you, fortunately, all of January, starting next week, we're going to start this new series called Safe Distance, Why We Can't Seem to Get Too Close. We're going to talk about the roadblocks of why a lot of us have trouble sort of forming close relationships with God and other people. But this is something that we want for our church. And what is interesting about this is that this doesn't just sort of fall out of the sky or come out of the blue. We actually have a value, one of our core values of uh, as a church. Actually, this is sort of what this has grown out of. As I was writing it down, I'm like, wait a minute, we say this all the time because this is who we are. We have this value. Our fourth value as a church says that we grow more in circles than we do in rows. And essentially what this means is that it's great to come in and file in a church and listen to a sermon and worship and be together with other people and you're going to be entertained and inspired and motivated and receive some interesting information that will help you in your life. But the, the biggest growth that happens in our life isn't when we're sitting in a row taking in information. It's when we're in a small circle having an experience alongside other people. Because it's other people in that small circle that are like, wow, that's really cool that that inspired you so much you put on your Facebook page. What are you going to do in your real life with that information that inspired you? I'm going to do this. Will you, though? Because I've been watching you pretty close. And it's those sort of nudges and pushes that change who we really are that make us better as we move forward in life. The second thing that our staff came up with is when looking at the next year, they were saying like, we want everyone on our campus to move from sitting in a service to stepping into a serving role that they can be regularly relied on for. It's easy to sort of come and, and sit through something and be impacted by it and really like the thing itself. But the thing that God has called us to do and be a part of isn't just something that a handful of us do for you. It's something that we all join together and do for each other. And we really want to see this next year um, more people sort of take ownership of this is my church. This is my place. I belong here. I don't just have something to get from here. I have something to give to here of my time, my effort, my energy, my passion. I want to invest it here. And again, these words are chosen really carefully because, you know, we all probably sit and enjoy services and maybe even we'd be interested in serving occasionally. Um, I call it helping, right? It's like, I would love to help. And um, I, like help is great sometimes, right? We've all had this experience as parents where, one of your kids is like, I want to help. And you're like, it's more help if you don't. You know what I mean? Like, uh, sometimes help isn't always as helpful as we want it to be. Um, but what really is helpful, like we're at this season with our kids where instead of helping to do the dishes in which then they go to the other room and we redo the dishes that they did, they're at the place where they can do the dishes 
where we hand them off and say, like, you get to own this. This is your thing now. And they do it. And let me tell you, like, this was a a great reason to have children. Um, Man, the amount of chores that they're able to accomplish, man, and I just, we're going to need to time it to where the grandchildren come along to where it's like, now you guys are going to be tagged. And yeah, they can come over today. And we're just like, they're just mowing the lawn and weeding and vacuuming and cleaning toilets. I don't want to go to grandpa's. Uh, you're going. Come on. There's something about um, when, when people take ownership of something and can be regularly relied on that, that sort of takes the weight off of oftentimes the handful of people that seem to be doing everything. And there's a sense of camaraderie when you grab hold of something and you determine to make it yours um, that when people rely on you to do a thing like you feel wanted and needed in a different way than when you were just showing up. It's just as much for you as it is for the people that you are doing the thing for. And I'll tell you, there are certain ones of you that have already engaged in this way. There are certain ones of you that like when you appear on the edge of the plaza on a Sunday morning and they see you coming, there is a like a, a, a sigh of relief that comes over my staff because they're like, ah, they're here because they know that they can rely on you regularly to bring your whole self to something that is going to serve our community. And you guys aren't going to believe this, but like as I was reflecting on this, I'm like, we have a value about this too, right? It's value number eight, and it says this, that we won't ask others to do something we aren't willing to do ourselves. And essentially what this means is that, you know, we've all been in environments where it just, how many of you have heard this? Like, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, right? Um, Unlike every other institution. Um, Everywhere is full of hypocrites because it's full of people. But the reality of it is we want to be a place that like seeks to reduce hypocrisy in our community by reducing it in ourselves, by by never really saying like, hey, why don't you do this thing? I mean, I'm not going to do it. That's not for me but you should. We want to be people that like that serve and give and invest in the place around us um, because we want to model that behavior for the people who are looking to us. I'll just tell you, especially if you're a parent, the best thing you could do is not just tell them the things they should do, is to show them that you do the things that you want them to do because you're going to rub off on them in, in terms of your behavior before like your verbal belief system will ever find any sort of housing in their heart. This is the way we work. And then the third thing we were sort of dreaming about as a staff is we said we want everyone on our campus to actively participate in shared opportunities to serve the needs of our community off campus. In other words, we don't want to just bring people here and come and be a part of a service, but we want to go and meet the real needs of real people where they are. And uh, we're planning a a whole variety of things, but, you know, we can come up with more opportunities than we've ever found people to actually volunteer and sign up to serve at. And there are a lot of ways that we want to impact our community. And I'll tell you this, we as, as Christians, we have these things that we want people to know. We want them to take root in their heart. We're like, man, we have the answer to what could revolutionize and totally change your life. But people don't really care about how you could help them, um, you know, spiritually if they're struggling with a a need 
practically, right? If they have some sort of a thing that they can't get past, right? Imagine that you were, uh, that you had hurt yourself really bad. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been walking barefoot and stepped on a nail before. I have, not fun. And imagine that you've had this experience and it's like all you can think about. I mean, you're looking at the wound and it hurts and your brain is just screaming in pain. Imagine that someone comes up and is just like, do you know if you die today where you would go? The Lord, I want to talk to you about your future and the love of God for your life. You would probably punch that person in the face. You don't care about any of that right then. You're like, I need the pain in my foot to go away. Like, it hurts so bad. I'm, I'm, I'm angry or whatever. You are not in a place to have like an existential conversation, to have a spiritual dialogue with someone, right? Especially if they don't believe in God. They're like, can I pray for you? And you're like, as long as the prayer is accompanied with painkillers, I would love for you to do whatever you would like to, because there's something else in your head at the moment. And we want to be people who go out into our community and find the needs that, that are most present and prominent in people's hearts and minds and look for ways to meet those needs because when we love people where they're at, it gives us a chance to really open their eyes to the love that God has for them on a level they could never imagine. And we want to be people who are constantly going and doing this. And again, this is going to blow your mind, but we actually, as I wrote this, I was like, we have a value about this too. It's value number six, which is that we won't wait for someone else to reach our neighbors. In other words, we believe that God put each of us in the houses we're in, the neighborhoods we're in, the jobs we're in for a purpose, that it's not randomized, that God put you where you are so that you can reach and love and care for and intervene in the lives of those people. And a lot of times we see things that are happening in the world around us or with the people around us, and we're just like, oh, someone should do something. And you may be that someone. There's a reason that you are noticing the things that you are. That certain things bother you more than other people. There's a reason for that. Not so that you can raise your hand and, and just be like, somebody got him. <laughs> so that maybe you can be like, hey, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and be a part of this. I'm going to figure out how to get involved with this. I, I'm going to see how God might be, want to use me to meet the needs of the people that he's opened my eyes to. And I would guess like as you think about each of these three things, the things that we're dreaming about, the things that we would love to see happen as a staff in here in our church this next year, that like you probably want a lot of the same things deep down. Because all these things are really relationally motivated. It's about moving from sort of a place of observation to a place of participation, of engagement, of connecting with other people in pursuit of the thing that God has invited us all into. I think this is the thing that we all want. We all want friends who really know us, like people that we can uh, be honest and vulnerable and transparent with, who are committed to do life alongside us no matter what, who will show up when we need them and inconvenience themselves on our behalf and excitedly invest in our success even when it costs. We all have this, this need or this desire for friends we trust to 
challenge us and hold us accountable to the things that we said that we're going to do, who look for ways to encourage us and build confidence in us, who expand our thinking and enable us to see the big picture when we sort of get dialed in to just one single frustration that's occupying all of our thoughts. And although we all have these deep desires and may have these dreams and want to see this, this thing happen, and we're like, yes, I'm open to like other people being my friend, other people meeting my needs as a neighbor, other people serving me and my family and my kids as we come to this church. I would love all of those things. And this is something else we say in Discover, that everything that you are desperate to get from others you're designed to give to others. And in fact, a lot of times it is in the giving that we realize we have been getting all along. I think that the things that you are hoping for, that you're dreaming about this year, are, are really things that like, man, I wish this would happen for me. And God is just like, I have this in store for you. Begin walking in that direction. Link arms with a travel buddy and start moving. I would tell you that like what happens in your life over the course of this next year is, is going to be um, sort of the result of what you invest yourself in this next year. I think a lot of times we're sitting back waiting on God to do this thing that we want him to do in our lives. And God is just like, I, you're waiting on, I'm waiting on you. Begin. Take the first couple steps. Begin to move in the direction I've called you in, which is why this is what I want to challenge you to do this next year, to find a circle you can commit to and expand it. Find a circle you can commit to and expand it. Now, some of you are smart enough to know that these, the, the bold words are really three separate action points. This is kind of like you do with your kids where you give them one chore and it's actually 15 chores um, that are just cleverly worded. But the first thing is to find a circle, right? Like, and I say this because some of you are like, I have tried a, a small group and those people were dumb. And here's the thing, they might've been, they're dumb people that go to this church, okay? <laughs> they're not all great, right? There's a lot of, and we love them too. There are people that aren't just horrible people, they're just not maybe a good match for you. They're maybe not what you're looking for at this stage of your life. They're maybe not just what you need. Um, I, I realize that, like, I'm not for everybody. Not everybody that I engage with or hang out with enjoys being a part of my circle, right? And I hope that they aren't just like, you know what, I'm done with people forever. I hope that the response is like, I am going to look for a new circle. I'm going to keep looking at different circles until I find one that I fit with. And then when I do, I'm going to commit to it. Because the small circle that you're a part of will only have the impact uh, according to like the level of commitment that you have given to that thing. You know, a lot of times we want something to, to transform our life. We're like, man, I got, I, you know, committed to these right people. They didn't really change my life like I thought. I spent 15 minutes with them once every other week and it just really... The commitment to again and again and again be with and be alongside of and share your life with people, transforms things. And then expand it. When you find something that clicks with you, that you love, that's making a difference in your life, we're called to be people that don't just sort of like, you know, are like, oh, I found this, don't tell anybody about it. 
we are called to be people who invite other people into it. Invite them into the circle that we've found because we're just like, man, I feel like you would like it here. Or like, I don't know if you would like this circle, but this circle might be for you. That we are people who help other people find and commit in the same way that we have. One Old Testament poet said all this this way. This is in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Interesting. He's saying like, listen, this is how the book opens. Like, I know why you're reading this. You want to know how to experience joy, how to enjoy your life, how to enjoy your year. Let me just give you the answer right out the gate Chapter one, verse one, you want to experience deep joy in your life? Don't take advice from people who are wicked. Like people whose life is not going in the direction you want your life to go in. People whose area of that life is not going in the direction that you want your life to go in. Don't take their advice. That will produce joy. I love that it goes on it's like, People who don't stand around with sinners. In other words, the downtime, the in-between time, the stand around time, the sit around time, who you do that with matters. When you think you're not doing anything, you're absorbing something from the people that you're doing nothing with. So spend your stand around time with people who look like Jesus with people who just that naturally what they will rub off on you is something that you want to actually be. And it says people who don't join in with mockers. Man, I gotta tell you guys, so much of our culture like is based around this idea of bonding with people over everything we're annoyed by and we hate. And you know what? It does not produce joy. It does produce some form of a connection but it doesn't produce joy. And what this is saying is like, when you actually base your relationships with people close to you based on what you like and what you, your hopes are, what your dreams are, what you wanna do, what you are gonna contribute, the positivity you're going to bring into the world, as opposed to just like, these are the people we get together with and we talk trash on everybody we work with. These are the people I get together with, and we just talk about how much we hate about our government and our country. I got to tell you, that is not where joy comes from. And here's what I can tell you for sure about 2023. At the end of the year, your life will be a reflection of the people and practices you prioritized throughout the year. I can predict exactly what is going to happen what you are going to find and experience at the end of next year. It's whatever people and practice, it's the cumulative effect of the people and practices you prioritize this year. And some of us, we think like, I'm not prioritizing them, but I do spend a lot of time with them every single day. I don't prioritize it, but I just sort of naturally do it every single week, right? That's a priority. Anything you regularly spend time on, that is your priority. Your schedule reveals your priorities. And I would just tell you, as you are forming and formulating your new year, aim it in the direction you want to go. 
whether you realize it or not, you were on a road trip. And whether you have chosen them intentionally or you feel like some mean teacher assigned you, you have some travel buddies. And those people will impact and shape the journey for you more than maybe you are giving them credit for. The smartest thing you could do this year is not just make a plan for what you want to do, but make a plan for who you are going to do it with. To prioritize the right kinds of people and watch as those people elevate your entire life. Pick people who sharpen you, not people who corrupt you. And for some of us, this means weeding out some interactions and leaning in to others. And I'm telling you, future you will thank you. And I want to pray this into your life today because we can talk about it and become inspired by it, but it's what we walk out and actually do that makes a difference. And I'm going to pray that you would have the courage for the follow-through. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? God, I'm so grateful for the life that you have given each of us and for the love that you pour out on us. I thank you for all the many ways that you have grown us and shaped us and challenged us and changed us over this past year. And God, I pray that as we begin to sort of not just reflect, but as we begin to to plan and prioritize who we're going to spend time with and what we're going to do and what we're going to to make important, what we're going to put first on our schedule, what we're going to make non-negotiable. God, I pray that we wouldn't just think of things that we want to do or things that we want to accomplish, but I pray that we would think about the people we want to become and the people that if we spend time with, will make us into those people. God, I pray that we would be intentional about those that we spend our time with. And God, that we would not be corrupted over the course of this next year, but we would would find ourselves at the end of the year sharper than we have ever been. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, because of the people we've put around us on a consistent basis. God, do what you have always done. Use the circle around us to make us more like you, to fulfill us, to bring us joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.